I'm Kelly Harrell, author, animist, and creator of The Weekly Rune. Solentent Arts is my soul-tending practice, and you're listening to What in the Weird, my podcast in which I talk about runes, actionable animism, soul-tending, and how all of those intersect through sacred activism on my path. The Weekly Rune is out, and if you're not sure what it is, it's a runecast that I've done for years, focused on the runic calendar and the current half-month rune. The Weekly Rune is now available in full on Patreon.com. Just do a search for Kelly Harrell to find it, and you can find the archive of all past runecasts on my site, soulintentarts.com. If you're not sure what a half-month is or what the runic calendar is, Listen to the early episodes of What in the Weird, or just go read the weekly rune. It's explained fully at the beginning of every runecast. Thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast, to those who send notes and share their experiences of the runes. That's what it's all about, and I'm grateful for the engagement. I also want to thank my Patreon supporters who make the sharing of my rune work through the podcast and the RuneCast possible with their financial support. If you've benefited from the RuneCast, the podcast, or the ton of free articles on the runes, animism, and soul tending on my website, you can show your support through buying my books, which you can find at soulintentarts.com or Amazon, by making a one-time contribution through PayPal or Square, or by contributing regularly through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com and search for Kelly Harrell. You can also subscribe to the paid version of the Weekly Rune there, and thank you for it. I want to take a second to tell you about a presentation I'll be doing online in the next couple of weeks through the Shift Network's Ancestral Healing Summit. The presentation is on death walking as sacred activism, which is absolutely my wheelhouse, as you all know. And it's the kind of conversation that I wish someone could have had with me when I was young and having experiences with the dead that I couldn't understand or engage in well. I've been really skeptical of a lot of these internet summits and panels because they are always so white. And that was one of my inquiries around doing this segment when they asked me to do it because we, especially around the subject of ancestry, we need to be having diverse conversation around what that tending looks like, and we need to hear it from intersectional perspectives. And they actually did a good job on this one, and I told them so. I wasn't really sure how that was going to go over, but, you know, I told them that this is one panel that they put together a lot more thoughtfully than ones in the past, even though there's always room for improvement, but I I now know that they're not going to run when I ask them if they've done their due diligence to get diverse voices on their panel. So there's that. If you're up for it, it's free. It runs from the 17th to the 21st of February, and you can you have to register for it. So you can message me through the Anchor app or email me. It's probably the most direct thing to do. Um, Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y at soulintentarts.com and I can send you the registration link. Again, totally free, runs for four days, 
I don't, I don't do math, four days. And I don't know exactly what day my presentation on death walking will be, but once you register for it, they let you know like a day in advance what the next day's topics are going to be and what time. So if you can't immediately watch the live session, they do offer them as recordings for like 24 hours after. So there's kind of a window that you have to catch it, but you've at least got a span of time. If you want any f more information about it, feel free to ask. Just let me know. Along that line, something that I talk about in death walking a lot is that there are things we're all supposed to be doing as animists that, that don't mean that we have to just leap headlong into soul tending for the entire world. There is a distinction. And, and funnily enough, this week's RuneCast touches on that distinction. We're looking at Alyes this week, or Elhaz, as some people pronounce it. And we have historically accepted Alyes as protection. I'm not suggesting not to do that. I'm saying do more than just philosophically know it. Don't just draw the rune and hope it protects you or, you know, say some blessing around it. Be animistic with it. Embody the concept behind what is and what creates protection. And ultimately, through all yeast, its flavor of protection is through nature. It's through nature spirit allies, the ones that aren't even allies, but they're just neighbors, the ones that you adore just because they're pretty in the spring. It, it's really all the flavors of nature, nature allies. And we are responsible for that part of it. I think that's the charge of all yeast, really. We're all supposed to show up as active, embodied beings in our nature connections. And by nature, I mean all of life. Other humans, the toaster, lizards, houseplants, snow, all of it. It's all consciousness with agency. And we're in continual relationship. Whether we're aware of that fact is the only question. It's all our job to be aware of that. It's not reserved for the people who just want to be in a role of soul tending. Animistic community is available for everyone. The framing runes this week are Fehu and Ewaz. And to get the full scoop on them and how they affect all ease, check out Patreon. You can get the full rune cast there, read it for a whopping $12 a year. And, you know, in summary... The runes this week talk about the job description of animists. I mean, they really break it down, how you make animistic community for everyone, how you find it within yourself, locate. And I know that, that some folks get that confused. They think that animists are soul healers and tenders, that it's synonymous. And, and I get that. It's understandable. It's not part of our culture. And so it's logical that there's confusion on what that role is. We can't stop arguing about who gets to use what words and what they mean and how to not appropriate long enough to talk about the what, like what those roles are doing and why they're important. But we need to understand the difference and the places where we're taking on too much and missing the meat of it and the places where we're not taking on enough on and shit isn't getting done. Animism is an experience. 
It's not a belief. It's not a philosophy. It's not this thing that you just walk around and go. It's not a title. We spent an entire other podcast talking about that on Everyday Animism. Check it out. It We ran it for two seasons. It's currently on hiatus. But there is a lot of good information in there. Animism is embodied being. It's it's a or the state of being that we intentionally bring our awareness back to ourselves as part of the web of all things that we are in relationship with. Not just this knowledge that there is a web of all things and we're part of it, but that we are in relationship with it, which by default implies we embody ourselves enough to experience that connectivity. And it starts in our own backyard, literally. Animism is where you sit and I say it all the time. And you can start right there. You can open yourself to the relationships where you are right now while you're listening to this podcast and explore them. And if it never goes beyond holding your awareness in that space where you stand, you're still an animist. You're still doing it. All soul tenders are animists. I had somebody argue that with me at one point. And and like from another cultural perspective, I'm totally willing to say, oh, okay, I, I see where that is not applicable. Except in most people that I engage who work in in soul tending relationships in other cultures, they're like, absolutely, you have to be an animist first, except that they don't use that wording. So I don't know if I'm buying that uh, all soul tenders are not animists. Feel free to take that one on and let me know how you do with it. But not all animists are soul tenders. And that's where we start getting into like really big rituals like depossession, soul retrieval, deep, deep soul travel. We're not all called to do that work. And and even if we're called to do it at some point in life, we may not be called to do it throughout life. And even if we think we're called, the spirits might not necessarily share that perspective. There are There are loads of caveats around that job description and who does it and who does it well. So going on the assumption that we agree, we're all called to be fit animists in some way. That means that in order to really hold that space, to be that embodied member of our immediate animistic community, we need to be aware and in charge of our own vitality. And I'm choosing my words really careful here on purpose because our ideas of what is considered fitness or even wellness well-being on any level is very colonized there you know our our ideas around those they're as much as a hundred years old and still based on a very cisgendered wealthy academic white male gaze and i'm still calling that bias from within my own personal cosmology and finding wording around it which is not clear. It's not clear at all. And thus far for me, vitality doesn't carry the charge of that history. Yet for me, it comprises support of calling and our unique best functioning at all levels. It's that combination. And I call those levels our inner or first cosmology, and they are mind, body, soul, and emotions. It is our job to keep those in balance the best way that we can to carry out our calling. That's like our prime directive as beings here. Keep the inner cosmology as healthy and vital as you possibly can. 
So what does it mean to be aware of our own vitality? It means that we know what's functional for us to tend our calling and what isn't. And we make our life choices around that. It's simple enough on the surface. Everybody and their sisters like, oh, totally, I'm down with that. But the complications are vast. If they weren't, we'd all be doing it already, right? But things get in the way of that awareness. Things like not being raised in an animistic culture, being raised in a colonized culture that doesn't want you to be animistic, because that would mean not just standing in your power, but interconnected with the power of all things. I mean, that's pretty intimidating. So there are systems in place that don't want you to know who you are. The first of the framing runes this week is fehu, and it means assets that must be tended. If you don't pay attention to those assets, they will disappear. If you don't pay attention to them, they can't grow. So so this is a, a very human dynamic that we're describing. No spirit guide is doing this. Spirit guides don't fehu. Fehu pertains to liminal assets as much as tangible. We're talking about wealth, you know, it's what sustains you. But that wealth historically is is what must be tended. So you have to cultivate an awareness of who you are inside to know what you need. When we're talking about Fehu from a liminal perspective, you have to spend some time knowing who you are in order to understand what you need until you know what you need. You can't be truly aware of your vitality. And if you're not, if you don't have those parts of the equation, then you don't learn what's required to sustain it. And when we're talking about Fehu under the umbrella of protection, all yees, Fehu is really talking about our taboos. In a polytheistic and even to some degree monotheistic view, taboos are sacrifices that your your soul guide, your spirit guide, who, whoever you consider, you know, your deep spiritual anchor on the other side. Some people call that their patron deity. I, as an animist, don't resonate with, with any of that, the deity aspects of it. Um, nonetheless, I totally resonate with taboos, but from a different, different way. But taboos are the sacrifices that you're asked to make in order to stay in solidarity with like that soul guide, that spirit guide or the patron deity. In other words, it's like boundaries that it's asking you to set. And and a lot of people interpret those boundaries as, you know, this this patron guide won't won't hang with me if I don't do these things. And that's that's fine. If that's what keeps it vital, then that's how you need to do it. It does not work that way for me. The way that it shows up for me is through my body, my body and my mind. So two parts of my inner cosmology present taboos for me. And and these are things like, you know, it can be something as benign as you need to wear certain regalia to honor uh, a particular, you know, spiritual influence. It can be, you know, patron deity or whatever, or it can be that, you know, you need to give up meat that you're not willing to hunt for yourself. It's those kinds of, like on the surface, you're like, oh, okay, I can do that, right? Or can I? For me, these things are deeply personal and they're, they're personal for anybody. Like, you know, even for people who function within the patron deity taboo perspective or, or their ancestors give them taboos that must be honored. 
Um, actually, now that I think about it, one of my ancestors did give me one. Okay, whole other thing. The ones that affect my day-to-day are from my body and my mind emotions. And they come in the form of, if you eat this food, you will get sick. And it's good food. It's never the bad food, right? (laughs) And that's what makes it challenging. But also, from an emotional standpoint, there are certain behaviors, certain uh, relationships and engagements that I love and adore that I know if I engage those things that my mental state will not support my vitality for days, not just for a few minutes (laughs) or for the time it took me to deviate. But for days, and then I've got to deal with the shame of having done the thing. And then I've got to get back on to doing the thing. And then I do the thing and it seems like we're good, right? That that's Those are divine taboos that if I ignore them, if we ignore them, once they're revealed to us, our calling is not supported. Taboos have direct physical and emotional psychological influence over how we are embodied. So when you know what your taboos are, however that works for you, they are internal assets that must be tended. And that tending is where it all goes pear-shaped. Like I said, if your vitality hinges on you stopping smoking, continuing to do so challenges vitality on all levels. It's never easy shit to give up. And when it moves beyond, you know, oof, wow, I really should do this, to consuming anxiety and shame around not doing it, around just stressing procrastination, calling is not happening. They Everything just balloons into this domino effect of trauma, essentially. Okay, so you know your taboos. What can you do about them? Get skills. Your taboos are another way of expressing boundaries. Boundaries that protect your vitality, support your vitality, support your calling. The way that you do that is to get skills. If, if just not doing the thing or extra doing the thing isn't moving you into a place of vitality, it means you need skills. And the place to get skills isn't the spirit realm. There's a very slim chance that you're going to gain a full-on grounded skill set that is relevant to the challenges of today only through spiritual means. So I'm really saying you need to get yourself to a therapist or some person whose professional skill set is teaching you how to be emotionally and psychologically vital, how to be how to be well and to recognize needs and signals and communications within yourself that need to be addressed to maintain your vitality. And I know I know that that saying therapy to soul-seeking people is basically like me saying, go back to church. People hit the roof when I say that. It has this really knee-jerk reaction. And I get it. I completely understand it. Because as we said, historically, psychology, the medical field at all levels hasn't been kind to marginalized people. All our models of health have been historically based on the cis-male polarity. And that's changing. It is possible to find therapists who situate their work and worldview outside that polarity, but they're not going to come to you. You have to go to them. And that's where this isn't spirit work. It's emotional, mental, psychological, often financial. And yet there are organizations, there are ways 
to find connectivity to these skills, even if it's Google, through channels that release trauma that doesn't need to be carried anymore and teaches you how to locate and support your vitality. There are systems in place bigger than just the medical, psychological polarity that stop us from getting professional help when we need it. And when we get into that territory, again, we realize exactly what systems we're against in order to be vital, in order to stay true to our calling. That's the Fehu challenge. That's that's the, the practical part of what we're up against and what we're asked to do. Etwas, which is the second framing rune in the cast this week, takes all of this to a very soul place. So right where we have all of our inner cosmology represented, like all all inclusive in this rune cast, we have Fehu talking to us about protecting the vitality through our physical and emotional psychological needs. And Ewaz is telling us that all our levels of internal being are brought under the umbrella of Ali's protection through soul work. Ewaz is often called the shamanic rune because it brings precedence of soul travel. But soul travel doesn't have to be into far-reaching strata like Like we mentioned earlier, it can be into the spirits in your front yard. It can be into the spirits within us as a collective, our own unconscious layers. It can be bringing our awareness to everything that is soulfully embodied in the everyday. So where Fehu takes us into taboos and honoring them for vitality, Ewaz asks that we also tend the soul layer of our being. Most of the time, we're really good at one or the other. We're very steeped in tactile being, or we're super entrenched in soul work with total disregard for the other aspects that need tending. But Ali's requires us to tend to both. Protection takes both. It takes as as much well-rounded awareness of yourself and skills to deal with what you find inside there, protection inside from aspects of your collective, how to deal with them gives you the power and protection to deal with the external. And if awareness allows us to know our taboos and how to uphold them as healthy boundaries for our survival and spiritual embodiment, it also brings us into realizing who we are, how we situate into our immediate animistic communities. Again, all of that is skills that are natural to us. We haven't been raised in a collective that has an animistic worldview and supports and fosters our own. And that's huge. That is a huge oversight. And the, and the only way that people really understand that chasm is by doing this work. And at least for a little while, the deeper you go into it, the deeper the wound seems. And yet the more you situate into awareness of yourself, it's healed little bits at a time. It's really difficult to do by yourself. And, and we aren't supposed to do it by ourselves because we are not isolated. We are all connected. To say that you are philosophically an animist and express this as your lens is one thing, but to live it is entirely another We're not only trying to live that embodiment, but to undo wounding around why we weren't living it to start with. 
It's a lot to do at one time. And I know I don't have to explain that to you because you're doing it. And if I can help you with that, hit me up. It takes awareness of all aspects of your internal cosmology so that you have the vitality to bring to your external or bigger cosmology that you situate into. Rumi said, where you stand, be the soul of that place. It's one of my favorite quotes ever, which is why I say all the time, animism is where you stand. When you have that awareness, you are an embodied human. You're doing this. And thank you for it. I want to leave you with the always half-month affirmation from Runic Book of Days. All under my sun, all that I am travels with me. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or insights about working with the runes in season, or you just want somebody to bounce your ideas off, feel free to email me at kelly, that's K-E-L-L-E-Y, at soulintentarts.com, or you can call into the Anchor app, which you can download for Android or iPhone. Also check out earlier episodes by downloading them from Google Play or iTunes and various other podcast platforms. And you can learn more about me, Runic Book of Days, and my work by visiting soulintentarts.com or on Instagram at Kelly Soul Arts. I'm Kelly, and this has been What in the Weird.